Ephesians chapter four, you know, everybody loves a comeback, don't they? Whether you're a sports fan or not, everybody loves a comeback story. I mean, they inspire us, they give us hope. Who can forget 2014, the Royals had not been in the postseason for 29 years. They're the wild card team just playing to get into the playoffs. They're down seven to three. It's the eighth inning against the Oakland A's. And by miracles of miracles, they come back to defeat the Oakland A's in extra innings. They go on to win the American League pennant. All began with a comeback. Maybe another 29 years, but (laughs) miracles happen. Uh, Who can forget in 2008, as the Jayhawk kingdom will never forget, the shot heard around the world. I am in the house of God, I can tell. (laughs) Mario Chalmers hits the miracle shot. Seconds are winding down, sending it into overtime. Of course, they would go on to win the NCAA championship. Rock Chuck. (laughs) Comebacks. Now, just so you guys can tell, hey, I never would have done this years ago but I have grown in grace. I have so grown in grace. And I love my Mizzou friends. I told you, we love everybody, even if you disagree. I was at this game, a game I will never forget for all the wrong reasons, Arrowhead Armageddon, Mizzou versus KU. Kansas was ahead with just seconds left on the clock. Mizzou wins on a field goal, 2009. Are you happy now? Give me some love, all right? (laughs) Who loves a comeback? Everybody loves a comeback. Can I tell you, though, there's a comeback that forever changed the life of the Apostle Paul. Paul's the one who penned this letter to the Ephesians, this letter that we're now studying, and his life was so changed by the greatest comeback ever, and it's a comeback that has the power to change your life. It's the comeback that changed my life. It changed all of human history, and it can change your destiny. I'm talking about the greatest comeback ever when Jesus came back from the dead. You see, our faith is built on the resurrection that Jesus died for our sin, but three days later he rose again. He's alive today. You talk about a comeback story that Jesus came back from the dead. And what Paul's now about to pen is built on the resurrection. You see, the church is about more than Sundays because it's not merely an event. It's not something you just do going through the motions of religion because it's about the resurrection and it's changed everything for everybody. That means every day is game day. You see, being a Christian is about more than Sundays. And so Ephesians 4 is a study of ecclesiology. It's the study of the church. Who are we? What are we? And he goes on, we're gonna pick it up from where we stopped last week when he talked about team unity, and we're gonna talk today about everybody being a player. Nobody's a spectator. We're gonna pick it up in verse seven. If you're ready for this, say team. Team. All right, here we go. He says, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So he says, listen, Jesus, before he ascended, first descended. 
to the lower parts of the earth. For three days he spent uh, in the lower parts of the earth. And then he ascended, and it says he led captivity captive. Now I could spend a whole sermon just talking about this one thing, that when he ascended and resurrected, he led captivity captive. Who did he set free? Well, doctrinally, it's a picture of the Old Testament saints, not you and me. Doctrinally speaking, the captives Jesus set free at his resurrection were those in the Old Testament, the Old Testament believers who died and gone to Abraham's bosom. Abraham's bosom is the term Jesus used in Luke chapter 16. He called it paradise. You remember on the cross when he looked at the dying thief and he said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. Paradise or Abraham's bosom was where Old Testament saints, followers of God would go because they could not go into heaven. They could not go in the presence of God. The only way you get in the presence of God is by the shed blood of the son of God. And so God temporarily put them in a place that wasn't heaven, but a place called paradise, temporarily. Uh, I'll put, I look at it this way. The Old Testament believers, they got their salvation on credit. We get our salvation on cash, right? So when you buy something on credit, what do you do? You take possession of it before it's fully paid for. Yeah, there's a payday someday, just so you know, right? So when you run your credit card, you take possession of it, but it still needs to be paid for. So here's the deal. The Old Testament saints before Jesus got their salvation on credit. They took possession, but it hadn't yet been paid for. You and I today, we get our salvation on cash. Jesus made the cash payment 2,000 years ago when he shed his blood. And now we come into the presence of God by the shed blood of the Son of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 means absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The moment you die physically and this tent gives up, you ultimately for eternity go into God's presence for ever and ever because of the blood of Jesus, the cash payment for our sin. All right, now listen carefully. Doctrinally, these captives were set free, these Old Testament saints. Devotionally, though speaking, how does it apply to you and me? Well, devotionally, the captives refer to you and me because we were born in captivity under sin's penalty, but Jesus shed his blood at Calvary. That's why he said, if the Son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. He has delivered you from sin's captivity. He has delivered you from Satan's tyranny, so you can now live a life of freedom and liberty and victory. And you see, ultimately, what Paul's teaching us is this. Because you've been redeemed by the champion, you can now live like a champion. You don't have to be vanquished. You can live victorious. You don't have to be defeated. You can live dynamically. I want you to understand that you've been empowered supernaturally. And that's what we've been talking about in the book of Ephesians. This isn't just an organization. This is a living organism, the body of Christ. It's not about a building. It's about you and me. We are the building. The Spirit of God lives inside each of us and empowers us supernaturally. And we're learning now how to live supernaturally, empowered by the Spirit of God, so that we can really function as Christ's body on earth to make a difference in time and eternity. Ephesians 4 8 puts it this way. The Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. You see, when he resurrected from the dead, he gave away gifts to men and women. What does this mean? It means as a child of God, you have received the Spirit of God, and that means you have received at least one supernatural gift of the Spirit. You have at least one supernatural gift of the Holy Spirit for the purpose of edifying the body of Christ. I'm trying to tell you, you're supernatural. You are not natural. As a child of God, you don't have to live naturally. You can live supernaturally. 
Now, a lot of people don't know their gift. Like, I got a gift, like, I'm good for something, really? Seriously, you're good for something. God has given you a gift, not something you were born with, that's a talent. It's something you get at the moment of salvation. When you receive the Spirit, you received a gift of the Spirit for the purpose of us together being a championship team, a Spirit-empowered body, the body of Christ. And so the Apostle Paul would put it this way to the Romans in Romans chapter 12, just for example. He says, for as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Hey, in the same way, a football team has 11 players. They all have a different function. They're all doing something different, but they're all running the same play together. That's a picture of the body of Christ. At this very moment, I'm preaching. That's my function. Somebody else is rocking a little baby down there or changing a dirty diaper. That's their function. Uh, Somebody else is helping park cars out there. You see, we all have a different position, but we're all running the same play. And that's what Paul is saying. We're members one of another. We're connected interdependently on each other. We all are one body, yet we're individual parts of that body with a different function, playing a different position. He goes on. He says, having then gifts. There it is. Ephesians 4, 8, he gave gifts to men. Here's some of the gifts. There's seven New Testament gifts listed here. These are more than talents. These are spirit-given, supernaturally imparted He says, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in ministering, or he who teaches in teaching. Now, these are three of those seven gifts. Prophecy, what is that? That's the ability to supernaturally proclaim God's revelation in a way that brings transformation. All right, that'd be one of my gifts. Preaching is, is the gift of prophecy. Chad Glover has this gift, the ability to, with power, proclaim God's revelation. Now, what would be another example? Ministry. Sometimes in the New Testament, it's called the gift of serving or the gift of helps. It's not the speaking gift. It supports the speaking gift. A lot of people have the gift of serving. My wife would not dream of being up here, but she loves being out there at the Next Steps desk. She loves serving people, that's what she does. She loves making a thousand peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for VBS, that's what she does. Because if it were me, I'd be making steak. You know what I'm saying? We teach those, but but that's just what she loves doing. That's the gift of serving. These guys out in the parking lot, the supernatural God-given ability to serve. Uh, the gift of ministry, the gift of teaching. A biblical gift of teaching is making complex theology simplistically so anybody can understand it, okay? He goes on. He who exhorts on exhortation, he that gives with liberality, he that leads with diligence, he that shows mercy with cheerfulness. I want you to notice something. We're all called to do all of these. Every single one of us are called to do all of these, but some of us have been uniquely equipped supernaturally to do at least one of these. See, we're all called in some way to prophesy, proclaim God's truth, proclaim that revelation of God. We're all called to serve. Nobody can say, well, I don't have the gift of serving, so I'm out. Uh, But some have the gift. We're all called to teach. Listen, if you're a single mom, what are you? You're a teacher. You're gonna disciple your children in the word of God, but some have the supernatural ability. Like I remember my Sunday school teacher when I was in the first grade to this day, Mrs. Lundy. And she taught hundreds of us in this city. She's been in heaven for years and years. Yet a lot of things I learned in first grade are things that I still remember to this day. She had the gift of teaching. 
the gift of exhortation is kind of the gift of wisdom, meaning you know you have this gift if you're the person that just people kind of single out and, 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 and pursue for advice, like you're the sounding board. That's the gift of exhortation. It's the ability to take biblical principles and apply it to given situations. Uh, what, what would this gift of giving, remember everybody is called to give. God tells us all to give. This is speaking specifically of financial giving to support the ministry. While we're all called to give, some people have the supernatural gift, the supernatural ability to give financially, the, the supernatural generosity. And by the way, you don't have to be wealthy to have the gift of giving. You remember the widow's two mites? Jesus said about the little widow woman that gave less than a penny, she gave more than all the wealthy because she gave all that she had. That's the gift of giving. You don't have to be rich to be generous. You just have to be generous to be generous. I want you to see the gift of giving, give with liberality, or he who leads. Leading is a spiritual gift. Uh, it's one thing to have a vision, but it takes a leader to bring the organization so there's mobilization to reach the destination. Because inspiration without organization leads to frustration. How many times have you ever shown up to do something and everybody's just standing around because nobody knows what to do? You were inspired, you got there, but then there was nobody there to lead you and tell you, okay, this is what we're gonna do. That's the gift of leadership. Sometimes it's called in the New Testament gift of administration. Uh, then you have the gift of mercy. See, we're all called to be people of mercy, but there are some people with a supernatural gift of mercy. That's the ability to bring healing to the hurting. People with the gift of mercy have the supernatural ability uh, to know what to say, to know what to do, to minister healing to those that are hurting within the body. So that's a little snapshot of seven of the gifts. I guarantee you have at least one of them to edify the body, not you personally, but the body. You see, the reality is these spiritual gifts are given for the benefit of the church body and not to benefit us personally. Hey, they're not for us, they're not for our glory, they're first and foremost for God's glory, and they're first and foremost to edify the body. Now here's the deal, you yourself receive great joy when you're ministering within your giftedness. Like, I'm just telling you up front, Sunday's my favorite day. Every day is game day, because the church is more than Sundays, but for me personally, hey, I, I love preaching. The hard work is pastoring. But I love preaching. I love hanging out with the folks. I do, right? I mean, I just do. But I, I get great joy out of preaching, but it is not for me. It's not so I can be happy. And it, here's the deal. Uh, you, you have great joy if you have the gift of teaching and teaching. You have great joy if you have the gift of serving and serving. But see, it's never just for you. It's never about you. It ultimately is for his glory, and it's to edify the body, and then together we can function then biblically and make a difference in our city and around the world for time and eternity. That's why the Apostle Paul is now going into such detail in this study of ecclesiology. So some of us here have a next step. What would some of our next step be? I'll tell you what it is. It's time to get out of the dugout and get on the field. Time to get out of the bleachers and become a player, quit being a spectator. Because in the body of Christ, every member is a minister. Here's the next step, I don't care if you do it right now, pull out your phone, go to our website, you can wait till after the service, if you want to, don't care. AbundantLifeLS.com, click on Serve Teams. 
and then register for the next volunteer and the shape assessment. What's the volunteer? Happens once a month. It will give you a behind the look scenes at every area of ministry. Start helping you kind of figure out where maybe you might like to serve. The shape assessment will start helping you discern your spiritual gift. Most Christians don't even know their spiritual gift. They're playing completely out of position or they're not playing at all. But when you discern your spiritual gift, the way God has shaped you and made you, all of a sudden, you're set free now to minister the way God has made you. And this is when it gets exciting in the body of Christ. You will never be so fulfilled in your Christian experience than when you have the sense of significance, like I really do matter, and God really has empowered me to do something that really matters, that will really, really last forever. Now here's the deal, the way you discover your spiritual gift, the shape assessment will help, but the number one way you're gonna discover your spiritual gift if you don't know it, is you just get on the field and start playing. Just get on the field, start playing. You're going to figure out your gift just by getting in the game. Like a lot of people don't know this about me, but my favorite sport growing up was not football. A lot of people assume it was. I love football, but my first love was baseball. And uh, I, I remember signing up for baseball. I'm 10 years of age, 12 years of age, and my coaches always wanted me to pitch because I'm like, you know, this freak of nature at that age. You think I'm, you know, 6'6 six, six now, but, you know, I was like, I was 6'3 in the sixth grade, okay? So just imagine. I mean, it wasn't fair. So I had this fastball, and it was a mean fastball. I mean, it was a screamer. And nobody could hit it. Nobody could hit it. The problem is nobody knew for sure where the ball was going <laughs> when it left my hand. Well, I could throw fast. That wasn't the problem. Problem was I might strike out three batters, then I might hit the next three batters. Nobody knew for sure. I'm like a wild thing, okay? <laughs> they wanted me to pitch so bad, but I'm playing out of position. I wasn't meant to be a pitcher, but I'm 6'6", I'm left-handed. I can do the splits. Well, not now, but I could then. <laughs> I'd be in traction if I tried it now. By the way, I told Steve, you know, middle-aged men need to keep their feet on the ground. All right, so good news, we, we didn't pull a hamstring or anything, okay? But here's the point, I was a really good first baseman, that was my position. Until you get on the field, you don't know. You, you, you might do this, man, I'm not that good at this, I'm, I'm not really that fulfilled by doing this, and, and, but on the other hand, man, this is where I have joy and I sense the presence of God in my life and there's fruit from doing it and I'm actually really good at it. And all of a sudden, you've discovered your gift. I had no idea, I promise you, I did not grow up thinking I wanna be a preacher when I grow up. It never entered my mind to say, I wanna be a pastor when I grow up. I had no idea what God was gonna do with my life. And then January 95, I just get in the game. That's all I did. I signed up for a mission trip, San Salvador, El Salvador, January 1995. I preached for the first time on the streets of San Salvador in the city center. And it was scary. I mean, it's an out-of-body experience. I mean, da -dun, da -dun, da -dun. I mean, my heart was like, da -dun, da -dun, da -dun. and I'm like, well, I don't know if I'm going to survive this. But then I got over, and I realized I survived it. Yeah. And uh, wow, people actually got saved, and they listened. Here's one I want you to see. I had no idea I was going to be a preacher. I had no idea I had that gift. I just got in the game. And that's how you begin to discern how God wants to use you, how God made you. When you get out of this mentality, church is something I go to. And you begin thinking, no, no, church is something I do. Church is something I am. 
Church is something you take with you. All of a sudden, you begin living missionally instead of consumeristically, and we become then that supernaturally empowered body. Now, we're going to see how God has structured the church. The Apostle Paul goes on. I want you to see what he says. And he himself, Jesus, gave some to be apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. And so you have these New Testament offices, right? You have the the office of apostle. Now, you heard me say last week, there's no living apostles today. Uh, Peter, the apostle, stood up in Acts chapter 1 when they needed to replace Judas And he said, here's the qualifications of an apostle, someone who was an eyewitness of Jesus from the moment of his baptism to his ascension. If you were not there to be an eyewitness, you didn't qualify to be an apostle. Only two within the midst of probably the 120 qualified. So there's no living apostles today. The apostles are the ones Jesus used to build the foundation of the early church. Ephesians 2.20, the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So to say there's still apostles today is to say that 2,000 years later, God is still laying the foundation of the church. That's just silly, it's not at all what happened. God used the apostles to basically write the playbook for the church. And the playbook is the New Testament. So it was through the apostles that he delivered that written revelation that is now our playbook. It's the foundation. But listen carefully. Though there are none that work as an apostle by office, we all in some way are to do an apostolic work by function. You see, the apostle, that word simply means sent one. So in that sense, we're all to be sent ones. Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so send I you. We're about to send 400 from here to Blue Springs over there. You see, that's an apostolic kind of work. We're breaking new ground for the gospel. Where there isn't something, there's about to be something. The apostles in the first century, that's what they would do. They would go somewhere, they'd break new ground and establish a church. And so it's an apostolic work. What it simply means, though, is that there's not going to be a 67th book of the Bible, the book of Phil. Won't be one of those. Steve Brown's gonna be the pastor in Blue Springs. There won't be the book of Steve because we're not apostles. Now, he says the second one was the prophet. The prophet, like the apostles, are the ones that God used to deliver New Testament revelation before it had been written. We now have the written revelation that came by the apostles and the prophets, Ephesians 2.20, the apostles and prophets laid the foundation. Like the apostles, there's no New Testament prophet today, meaning there's not gonna be some new doctrine that I think up because I'm a prophet and I'm gonna deliver now to you. No, God has already delivered all the doctrine for the church, me and you. But in the same way, there's no office of apostle where to function, though, as sent ones like an apostle, the prophet is very similar. The prophet would deliver revelation from God, and every single one of them in some way are responsible for the proclamation of that New Testament revelation. Then you have teachers, or I should start with evangelists. What's the evangelist? Today, we might call them outreach pastors. A lot of churches have on their staff an outreach pastor. That's the title. So the evangelists would have been like the outreach pastor, and they are the ones that were, that were taking the gospel and creating this culture of outreach, and the early church was a culture of outreach. 
It was all about reaching people far from God. That's why our mission is to see lives changed by Jesus. And it's not about addition and just keeping everybody in this auditorium. It's about multiplication. It's a vision of reproduction. That's why we're going to Blue Springs. Uh, then you have the pastor teacher. Now you can't see this in English, but in the Greek what you learn is this is actually one office, the pastor teacher. And that of course would be my office today and the other pastors we have on staff, the pastor teacher. A pastor represents shepherds to care for the flock, guide the flock, feed the flock, and of course teachers means we teach the word of God to the people of God. Now I want you to see this, watch this. According to what we see here, we don't do the work, we simply equip you to do the work. Our work is to equip you to do the work. You see it says for the edifying of the body till we all come, everybody say all come, to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to the, a perfect man, that word perfect means mature. He wants us to become mature Christians, not in infancy spiritually, but to grow up to spiritual maturity until we have the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So what does this mean? It means Jesus is the owner of the team, pastors are the coaches of the team, and the church members are the players on the team. Just like the Chiefs have an owner, it's Clark Hunt. By the way, his brother Lamar Hunt Jr. is gonna be right here in October for our next leadership exchange. So one more thing we do to build a bridge to the community. It's a leadership event. If you're a business leader, invite somebody to come with you. You're gonna hear Lamar Hunt Jr. His dad, of course, started the Chiefs, owner of the franchise. He's gonna be here talking about leadership. So you think about the Chiefs, our hometown team. Clark Hunt's the owner of the team, but then there are coaches and the coaches don't get on the field and actually pass the ball, catch the ball, the coaches do what? Equip the players to have success on the field, to run the plays. So I want you to see, our work as pastors is not to do the work. Our work as pastors is to equip the players, that's you, to do the work. You see, pastors minister through people, not merely to people. And I'm telling you this because we have got to abandon what amounts to church culture. Church culture in America goes something like this. If I have a real problem, I need to call the paid professionals. I need to call Pastor Phil, or maybe Chad Glover, or maybe Pastor Lance, or maybe Pastor Pat. I want you to see that is a church culture, but that's not a biblical church, a biblical model. Biblical model of church is not merely, I need to call the paid professional. A biblical model of church is when we are ministering one to another. I want you to see that more and more as people, well, people call me or email me, Pastor Phil, I have a problem. I need to know what to do. I'm always here to help you, and all the other pastors are too. I'm gonna tell you, just so you know ahead of time. What I'm saying more and more is this, are you in a group? Because it's impossible to fully care for your family, to fully shepherd you if you're not in a group. It's an impossibility. Even if we could hire enough staff to do the work of the ministry, it would not be a biblical model of doing the work of the ministry. See, that's the paid professionals. No, the biblical model is that the pastors equip you to do the work of the ministry and minister to each other. So what I'm saying now is, are you in a group? And if you're not in a group, you can go on AbundantLifeLS.com and sign up for Group Connect coming next month to get in a group, because if you're in a group, what I'm gonna say is this, well, have you, have you run this by your group yet? What does your group say to do? 
And the reason I'm telling you that is because you have all these gifts operating in your group already. You see, we are a body of spirit-filled believers. You've got the same spirit of God living in you as the one that lives in me. You've got the same word of God in your hands as the one I have in my hands. You have everything already if you're in a group to fully minister one to another without me or another pastor. Now, there are times we're gonna step in. We're gonna try to help you. Don't worry, we're gonna be there for you. But we need to get out of this church mentality, this church culture that says only the paid professionals can really help me. No. In your group, I guarantee you've got somebody with the gift of prophecy, and there's going to be a word for you fitly spoken. There's somebody with the gift of mercy, and they're going to know how to bring healing. There's somebody there with the gift of serving, and they're the ones organizing the potluck and the pies, and you know, make sure you bring this and he brings this so we don't get six green bean salads. Right? Uh, you, you, you got somebody ministering. So I'm trying to tell you, if you want really to be ministered to biblically, you got to get in a group because it's a, it's a mentality generation after generation of church culture that says, I just go to church, but we need to start thinking about being the church. Amen. And so increasingly, that's what I'm going to say. Are you in a group? If you're not, you need to be in one because you can't minister and biblically function if you're not. Now, that means every believer is called to be a player and a participator. Nobody's called to be an attender and a spectator. We're about to send 400 people from here to Blue Springs. We're sending some of our best leaders. We're sending some of our most committed servants. You know what that means? We got 400 positions to fill right here. People look around our church, they see all these people, they think, well, they obviously don't need me. Looks like everything's covered already. And I will absolutely promise you, more people does not diminish the need. More people just enlarges the need. Oh, you're needed. And the good news is there's a place on the roster for you. You have made the cut. You have made varsity. We have no JV. We got no B team. You're on the A team. Yeah. No tryouts. You've made the team. And here's the point. We need this mentality of 400 people going there. Who's the next man up? Who's the next woman up? Who's in the dugout? Who's ready to get in the field? Who's in the batter circle? Who's waiting to get up to bat? You see, we have to have that mentality that every single person's a player. Nobody is a spectator. It's time for some of us to get off the bleachers and get on the field. You see, that's the body of Christ. Nobody just gets to come and consume. Consumerism might grow the greatest economy ever in history, but consumerism is killing Christianity. What's consumerism? Consumerism is how you decide where to eat after church. If you're like me, you think in terms of where can I go to get the most for the least. That's a consumer mentality. Uh, Chris and I are reaching the empty nest season of life. A lot of you think this is the worst thing that ever happened. I just dropped my kids off at college. Yeah, that's sad. A chapter is closing, but a new one is beginning. Amen. Let me tell you, it's awesome. <laughs> we go out to eat now. We can afford to go out to eat now. And when we get the bill, like, we can't even believe it. 1323, really? That's it? 13 bucks for both of us? This is awesome. Yeah, it's consumers. So when we go out, to, we love Mexican food. I'll tell you why we love Mexican food, because you can get a lot for a little. Because you get free chips and salsa. 
You haven't even paid for that before you even get your meal. You're gonna get full. It's gonna be a lot for a little. Free chips and salsa. So, you know, I've learned I only need to order like a taco and a burrito because I'm gonna be full by the time I get it. A lot for a little. Not only, it's a great value. You can still taste it three hours later. <laughs> Big ROI, return on investment, yes? That's consumerism. But see, people come to church saying the same thing. Where can I get the most for the least? Pastor Phil, feed me. Worship team, play my songs today. Paid professionals, minister to my kids. See, that's the church culture. We've got to abandon it. I want you to see this graphic. I'm gonna show it to you over and over again. The consumer church, church is seen as a dispenser of religious goods and services. People come to church to be fed, to have their needs met through quality programs, and to have the professionals teach their children about God. This is the mentality most of us have. It's what we've been taught. I go to church. It's not right, it's not biblical. This, on the other hand, is different because this is, I am the church. I don't just go to church. It's the missional church, a body of people sent on mission who gather in community for worship, community encouragement, and teaching from the word in addition to what? They are self-feeding themselves through the week. See, this is the age of, well, I'm just a regular attender at Abundant Life. I'm not really a member. I'm just a regular attender. Can I just say this? I'm not trying to be mean at all. I'm not. I want you to grow spiritually. That's all I want. But there's nothing biblical about being a regular attender. If you're a regular attender, what that makes you is an irregular believer. Because when you go to the New Testament, you see no one following Jesus that's a regular attender. Everyone is deeply embedded in a body like this one. The idea of going to the church was not even known for centuries. The idea of the Ephesians, the Ephesian church, that, well, we go to church, now, that, that didn't even enter their mind because a church was not about an event. It was about a mission. It was more than Sundays, and that's why Christianity radically changed history. It radically changed Roman society. We need to lose and abandon this consumeristic mentality. Gimme, gimme, gimme. Here's the reality. If you are for the church, what God is teaching us is time to support the church. This vision we have for reaching our city and around the world, it takes every abundant life member. Isn't that clever? I know, corny. It takes a team, it takes everybody. And honestly, a lot of people have a relationship with the church like I have with the Chiefs. I'm for the Chiefs. I'm for them 100%, they're my team. I'm cheering for them, I am rooting them on. I was disappointed last January the 20th when they lost in the AFC Championship. Like, I am for them. But I'll tell you right now, I don't support them. 
I'm for them, but I don't support them. I have done nothing. I have invested nothing to help them win. I have invested nothing to help them achieve success. I have invested nothing to help them win the Super Bowl. You see, I'm for them, but I don't support them. And there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people here that have invested so deeply financially, so deeply in their energy, so deeply in their ability for so many years for our church to be doing what we're doing in the city and beyond. But there are hundreds of more, you know what, honestly, oh, Abundant Life, we're for you guys. We're for you. Yeah, you go to Blue Springs. That's a good idea. Hey, friends, sweet people, I don't need you to be for us. I need you to support us. I need you to get in the game. Jesus needs you to get in the game. We have an opportunity today, just imagine after 2,000 years of church history, the movement of God is still moving. Who wouldn't want to be a part of it? And if you're not in the game, this is a chance. Get on the roster, get in the field, get skin in the game. You will never regret it whatever it takes, whatever the cost. You see Ephesians 4.13 says, how do we do it? Until we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, that mature man becoming a mature body, fully grown up spiritually, so that we reflect the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You know what he's saying? You cannot grow up spiritually and be full of Jesus while you're still full of yourself. Children live for themselves. Adults live for others. See, he wants you to grow up, so let me ask you, are you a spiritual infant? Are you spiritually a grown-up? He wants us all to grow up, that's what he's saying. And you know the difference, because spiritual children are takers, but spiritually mature people are givers. Let me ask you, are you coming to church to get, or do you come to church to give? See, my children are now grown up. You know one of the things that makes them grown up? Not just because they got grown up bodies, but now they're finally living selflessly. I remember the days when they lived selfishly. See, the mark of maturity, you should start giving away what you have so that others can come behind you and give what they have too. Spiritual children are consumers, but the spiritually mature are contributors. Which one are you? One day we're gonna stand before Jesus who gave everything he had, and he's gonna ask this question, what did you bring with you? Would you pray with me? Jesus, I pray for every person, God, in this place, that not one today would miss the opportunity to use their life in a way that matters for eternity. Today would be the day I pray that some of us begin to get in the game because the church really is more than Sundays. It's a move of God that changed the world and it has the power to change ours. Help us to be that spirit-empowered, spirit-filled body of Christ on the earth to make a difference in our city for time and eternity, I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Would you give Jesus the glory with me? Praise him, would you? <laughs> Guys, I love you a whole bunch, I really do. It's an honor to be your pastor. All these folks right here are here to minister to you. As others are going that way, some of you ought to come this way.
They're here to pray with you, minister to your needs, talk to you about what it means to be a Christian. You come as God calls you.